The following podcast is brought to you by Starbucks Canada. Hey partners, just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded during the pandemic. The sound quality might be slightly different. In the spirit of continuous learning, it's okay to try new things. From the Toronto Support Centre, this is Career Passport, a podcast featuring partners across the country showcasing how they landed in the role they're in today and uncovering the stories behind their career trials and triumphs along the way. I'm your host, Donna Ewan. I'm a partner within the talent acquisition team here at Starbucks. So buckle up your seatbelt as we meet our guest for today. Shannon Lease is the Vice President of Licensed Stores at Starbucks. She joined in 2001, and over the last 19 years, she's had 13 different roles. How did Shannon do all these roles? What are her tips now? I am so excited to have you on Career Passport. Focusing on like your career and your amazing journey, I wanted to go into that story of how you first started at Starbucks. It's funny, you know, I had been such a loyal Starbucks customer for a really long time. It was my third place. I was literally like three times a day girl. At the time, the store manager just kept saying, I don't know why you don't look at this as a role. And I said, you know, I, I like my job. I'm really happy where I'm at. I don't want to have those intersections cross. So all it takes sometimes is a moment of clarity And at the time at London Drugs, I had a leader that I was struggling with and I didn't see an easy path forward. So it just took that store manager at Starbucks asking me one more time if I would be interested in talking to people. She got me on the right day and I said yes. So we started the interview process and I believed that the right role for me was to come in as a district manager. Even within the single unit at London Drugs, I managed different departments and had a big area of responsibility, you know, about 150, 200 people in the seven figures for weekly sales and multiple seven figures in terms of inventory. So it was really a big, complicated business. And when I looked at Starbucks, I thought, yeah, that feels like the right role. Clearly, Starbucks did not agree with me. They thought that without the true physical presence of multi-unit, that I didn't quite have what it took to be a DM. So I respectfully disagreed and thought about things for a little bit longer and knew that after all of my time that I had spent there, it was the place that I wanted to be. And sometimes in order to take you know, a new journey you have to reflect and see or consider what it is that you're willing to do to either maybe take a couple steps back or adjust your lifestyle in order to see a long-term goal. And I thought, you know what? I want to be there. I have probably known that for years and now I'm going to fight for getting in. And I decided that I'm good with coming in at a store manager level. In fact, I think it could be a blessing because learning what that role is from the ground up for the team or you know the group that you're about to lead is really instrumental. It gives you ops chops, it gives you credibility, and it gives you a place of empathy to come from in understanding what the true problems and complexities are to solve. So I came back to the recruiter at the time and said, hey, I've really thought about this. I know this is where I need to be. You might not see that yet, but I do. So how about, you know, looking at me coming in at, you know, store manager level and working my way up? So they said yes. And I came in as a store manager. For sure. If you walk me through your journey a little bit, 
you were a store manager and then you became a district manager for a number of years. And so what actually sparked your interest to diversify your career journey a little bit afterwards? Because the, the next role for you after was not a regional director. It was actually a national marketing manager role. I was a store manager for a couple of years. I think a DM for about four. In my last year as a DM, Starbucks gives out some awards for DMs. I was at this event at the Vancouver Aquarium with like all of my DMs around me. You know, you're just surrounded by all your friends, right? The energy's crazy and you're so excited and the company's giving out these awards. It was DM of the year for Canada. I'm standing there with a couple of my really close DM friends and they're calling a name and all I'm busy doing is talking to my, you know, the DM that's next to me saying like, who do you think it is? Like, oh my God, this is going to be so exciting, right? My friend is looking at me like, duh, because I was so excited to learn who it was going to be. I didn't even hear them call my name. Carrie, the DM at the time, said, Shannon, it's you. And I'm like, totally just not even clued in. So I go down and I get my award, which is super exciting because I, I had this wonderful conversation with Howard Bihar. Who's that actually? Howard Bihar is one of the founders of Starbucks. So it was H2O, Howard Schultz, Howard Bihar, and Oren. So they were really like the visionaries and the founding fathers of Starbucks. It was a big deal. And it's not about like winning the award. It was more like, oh my goodness, I get to hug Howard, which was, you know, so much more exciting. So anyhow, what that did is I think it just opened up avenues for me that maybe I hadn't initially considered. I got approached by a few different leaders in the organization to try different things. So I can remember talking to some partners about maybe um, learning or taking a stint in facilities, which was super interesting. I can remember interviewing for a role over in Asia Pacific. I didn't get that. And then the marketing team had reached out to me. There was all of these exciting possibilities that I never even thought could be potential. So I took the marketing gig and I was scared to death. I had no formal education in this. I knew that I, I liked to learn and I was pretty good. I think I have a fairly high learning agility. But no two ways about it. You know, like I was scared. Oh my goodness, what if I fail? Oh my goodness, like what happens if they don't like it? What happens? I had imposter syndrome. You know, I still struggle with that. What happens if they find out I'm not as smart as they think that I am? So I, um, I took the marketing gig because I thought that it was the super sexy role in the organization and learning and understanding how customers use our space and the emotional connection really appealed. Yeah, I took that. It was that first sort of enabling step that led me to a place where I'll try almost anything, you know, anything the organization throws at me. One more thing around that that I think was really critical that helped me have the confidence to try that is it's difficult to do that if you don't feel that you have the support of your leader behind you. At the time, I knew that my leader had my back and that even if I tried this and something didn't work, I knew that she was there to support me and I knew that she would take care of me. She would take care of things, even if it may have ended up being a mistake, which it was not. So there's something you know behind the power of that and being able to lean in, knowing that you have that support. What's something that you take away from your experience with her? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. 
when your leader's able to build that much trust and credibility with you, it's easier for you to lean in as a partner. So when I think about that, and I think about what that means for the team that I have the privilege of leading now, it is that hopefully they feel like they can trust me because I trust them, that I am wearing their t-shirt. You know, what was different that I really learned about myself at the time, and I've also tried to continue to bring on and think about as part of that consideration when I'm recommending a partner for something that they might not see yet is at the time, the leader that I had saw skills and leadership qualities in me that I hadn't yet seen or recognized myself. So because of that trust, I was able to lean into that and take that leap of faith that my leader's got my back. She sees something I don't quite yet. But as I got into it, I started to see what she was seeing. So, you know, as a result of being able to connect the dots that way, now as I'm helping support my partners achieve their biggest goals and their wildest dreams and be successful in Starbucks, I think to myself, what am I seeing that they might not yet see in themselves? And how can I help them with directing them to maybe a really fulfilling career that has some jungle gym components or some lateral components? What a golden tidbit of asking yourself, what do you see in your partners that they don't yet see in themselves? How do you even do that, actually? As a servant leader, you have to care very deeply. And, you know, when you're building that trust with people, you need to build it in a way that is providing deposits and this really transparent relationship so that people trust that even if you have feedback to give that it's coming from the right place, right? Positive intent, spirit in which I'm you know, sharing this with you is about helping you be better. And that can go for things like, gosh, wow, this partner's really amazing at this, but you think that they can be even better. Or, oh my gosh, here's a partner that really wants to learn and grow, but maybe there's something that's holding them back a little bit. So, you know, how do you show them and lean into all of the really great stuff while encouraging them and lifting them up around some of the stuff that they might still need to build some skills on? So I think it's a really delicate balance and you can't have that until you've built trust. And that takes really important, critical time and energy and thoughtfulness in how you build that. So I hope that I do that for my partners. I endeavor to do that for my partners. And I think based on the conversations I've had with other partners preparing this conversation, you absolutely do do that. What are the pivotal moments of how you build that trust with a partner? Trust takes time for sure. And I think... It's also some people give trust up front and then take it away. Is that it's you know got a, a reason to be eroded, or some people you have to build up. So knowing that even is helpful about how you can lean in. I think the other thing that I do is to really invite like a trusting or a two way relationship. It goes both ways. So you know, one thing that I have always tried to be very thoughtful about is asking for feedback myself. As a 19-year partner, or a 10-year partner, a five-year partner, I was always still learning. And because of how many changes I made, I was often in a learning position. Think about learning, owning, advising. I was often in this learning space. So to be able to connect with a partner, but put yourself out there in a way that says, 
I'm still learning and I actually really value and need your feedback. So help me understand how did I show up today? Is there anything that you would have liked to have seen me do differently? What advice do you have around, you know, this problem that I'm trying to solve or how we're approaching it? Being really open and receptive to ask for that back is critical. And spending time with my team and any of them who are listening to this will probably roll their eyes and go, yup. I set that up, right? Like that's part of the tee up when we spend time together. If we're out in the field doing shoulder to shoulder work or anything like that is what are you going to get out of the day? What do you want to get out of me? What are the top three things that would make this day really remarkable for you? And, you know, I learned that from another really exceptional leader in our organization. And at the end of the day, what's your comfort level with me providing you feedback? Or what's your comfort level with, if I see an opportunity, giving you feedback, thoughtful feedback, gentle, generous feedback in the moment? How do you feel about that? So when you ask those questions and you invite that in, and then the partner gives you permission and then in turn, you give that back to say, hey, here's what make the, would make this day remarkable for me. Like These are my goals. And don't forget, at the end of the day, or as time goes, if you have feedback for me, I'm also still learning and I really value your insight. So please make sure that you tell me. I think it's important for a leader to invite that back in. If you think about you know, servant leadership, again, in its truest form, when you're out in the field, your job is to observe, understand, and remove barriers for your team. So if you go out with that purpose and that genuine intent to help your partner, you know, to lift your partner and teach your partner something and to learn together, I think that that is the spirit of Starbucks. Absolutely. You've had 13 roles in the past 19 years. So I thought it would be fun to do some quick fire questions just to know your journey a little bit better. What do you think you've done that's made you stand out from your peers and have impressed the leaders around you? I would say after that first time, leaning in and being really uncomfortable with taking something totally different on that I did not have the background or education or skill set to, to go into. Once I did that for the first time, because it was scary as all heck, what I learned is that I could very quickly figure things out. So the next time something came up, Donna, I was like, oh yeah, I'll try that. And then I didn't have as much anxiety around it, right? And then the next time came up and I was like, oh yeah, I'll try that too. So each time I did that, what I learned is I wasn't afraid to fail. So like if the organization gave me something... I was like, yep, I'll try that. Or if the organization said, you know, here's something that we need to, to get done and other people were really shying away from it because it was like complex or maybe in their estimation, it could have a detrimental impact to their career. I was the first to put my hand up and say, pick me, pick me. So I kind of approached it that way. From time to time, don't get me wrong, I still have that imposter syndrome that likely I will always wrestle with. But for the most part, I'll pretty much try anything. That's amazing. I think imposter syndrome is something a lot of partners can relate with. What strategies have you been able to kick imposter syndrome in the face, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, sometimes I'd like to give her a karate chop, that's for sure. I think from time to time, it creeps up. What is helpful as you think about your journey and even the practice of mindfulness, it really is around what am I feeling right now? 
why might that be? What are the circumstances? And pausing and stepping back and really almost putting yourself in third position. And somebody very brilliant, an executive coach, once said to me, Shannon, is it an I think or an I know? When you start to incorporate or let your imposter have thoughts of what you think are true, but you don't really know to be true, that's where things can spiral or you know come out of control. So it's important to recognize when that's happening because it will. You're not going to stop that. At any given time as human beings, we'll have that fight or flight instinct or we'll have that moment where our imposter creeps in. So what's important is recognizing when it happens and stopping and pausing and asking yourself, is this fact-based or am I hypothesizing and making these things up? If you're leaning more towards an I think versus an I know, then if it's important enough for you to do so, do some due diligence and do some fact finding and understand whether it really should be or is an I know. And once you know that, then you can take steps. Going back to our quick fire questions, has there been a department or a role that you've had a really big learning curve on? Probably one that I felt most uncomfortable in or had the biggest stretch was the move from Canada to the role that I took in the SSC. Canada's a big country, but we are a tight leadership team. And going into the SSC is just this crazy other beast with thousands of people who are way smarter, who are doing really good work and really insightful things. And you find yourself really being a very small fish in a very large pond. So trying to understand and navigate through that and learn really the art of collaboration and how to influence people who you don't have a reporting relationship with is really interesting. And then the amount of exposure you have to leadership is also really interesting. So you learn a lot more about how you communicate with an executive How is your communication clear and concise? Three points or less. How are you getting your message across? And how are you sharing value for the work that you're doing with the organization? So there were huge learning curves there just in systems and navigation. Yeah, Donna. Oh my gosh. It was like an executive MBA. I'm sure that you brought so many of those skills back to Canada. Are you able to think about a time that maybe you took a risk, but didn't play out the way that you were planning? I don't necessarily think that there was a role or a step that I took that I would consider a mistake. I would say the roller coaster is how you're learning and sort of going through that. But I've used this example a multitude of times, but I had this experience where one of the tests that I was running at the time in the SSC really had notionally this idea of unlocking throughput in our really busy stores. And you know, the test ended up taking me to New York. It didn't go well. And the difficult learning out of that, which was frankly, you know, part of imposter syndrome creeping up and all of the crazy things that I was feeling at the time were because the intention of the test or what we set out to do as an organization was not working. And the very difficult decision had to be made. And frankly, that fell on my shoulders was to um, pull the test. There was capital investment expectations from leadership. 
And after failing two days in a row, I had to make the decision to pull it. And the learning out of that was it's more important to get it right than be right. If I had stayed in that and continue to push it through in some way, shape or form, I probably could have proven that out, but it was the wrong thing to do for the business. I was worried. I thought, oh my goodness, the organization is not only going to think that this test is a failure, they're actually going to view me as a failure in this. But I still knew it was right. So we pulled it and we gathered ourselves back up. The entire project team back, came back together and we started to look at, so where do we go wrong? You know, What intersections happened that maybe we took a right on that we should have taken a left? And is there another platform or venue that we could carefully and thoughtfully test this out and see if it had the returns that we were expecting that it would? You know, That was a pivotal moment. That was a huge moment of humility. You're working for something, your team's working towards something. And as much as you've got your own little roommate or imposter going on, the more important thing also is how do you help rally your team around this too? Because they're feeling that and you don't want them to, right? You need to help them see there's still value. Let's look at how we consider moving forward and giving them the energy and the confidence to do that. How did you reposition this into a way where you were able to clearly pick up and still continue forward? I think it takes a little bit of time to do some deep reflection and understand what the learnings are out of it. I would say I would compartmentalize those into two buckets. One, what are the personal learnings that you got out of that? And secondarily, what are the organizational learnings that might be a benefit that we could take back and say, gosh, it didn't work under you know, these parameters or in this environment, but here's what it did for the organization to either advance another project or you know, a, a, a learning for one is don't test in New York. That was an enterprise learning, right? Like that's a silly place to go. New York has so much visibility to it and it's so busy and has such an impact for how many customers that you go to New York when you're, you know, baked, right? Like that's part of your execution. So how do you take different steps along that testing journey to, you know, leave New York as the final place? So that was a huge organizational learning for us and we adjusted and, you know, we put more of our learning into stores that were close to us in Seattle. We did a few in Portland and we did some in a really small pocket that we could control very closely in Texas. That was better. And moving forward, the testing team really took that into consideration. And then the personal learning was just, hey, that was a really difficult decision for me to make. And as I reflect on it, I look back and I know that it was the right thing to do. And it taught me more about tenacity. It taught me more about I'm feeling this way and I'm feeling pretty insecure. Imagine how the team is feeling. So how do you lean in as a leader and help them navigate through that and lift them up? So you can share some of those learnings are worth it and your leader can see that you had that. Then I think that that is, you know, a silver lining despite the fact that you might have broken something for a day, right? Like you would have to try really hard, Donna, to break Starbucks. But, you know, you can make some mistakes along the way in the spirit of hopefully this really great unlock. And that's what we were striving for. And it didn't work. But when we were able to redirect, it did. It just worked in a different channel. 
moving forward, you're currently in the license world. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what the license business is at Starbucks? Sure. So the license business is an opportunity for us to put a store in a location where we might not normally have access to it from a company operated standpoint. So often you'll see a store inside of another store. You'll see a kiosk inside of a grocery store, or you might see Starbucks location inside of a hotel or a lodging property or in an airport. You know, those are highly visible. You know, we've all seen those ones before. Those are really some examples of the licensed business. So an area where company operated can't go or doesn't want to go is a really good opportunity for us to partner with another like-minded, reputable business partner who we have a high level of confidence can really run a Starbucks and provide the proper brand experience and customer experience for the Green Apron. We look for those and we vet those. You know, we do a lot of interviewing and investigation and background analysis to understand who we should invite into that world. And then we license them the ability to operate a Starbucks store. So that's what the license team does. That's really awesome. I'm really curious to know what actually brought you to the license world. What's what's the story? So at the time when I was an RD in operations in Vancouver, my mentor was in the branded solutions role. So he was the VP of branded solutions. So that was when it was all of our licensed stores. So the selling of those to the licensees, plus it was all of office coffee and it was also any food service. So sometimes when you would see cups of coffee, we call it, we proudly serve. That was really all under this umbrella. So my formal mentor was him. We totally hit it off. We got to know each other and I really valued his input and insight. I thought he was an amazing leader. At one point he said, have you ever thought about coming over and thinking about working in the license business? And I was like, ah, you know, I don't have any sales experience. Like, no, I hadn't really thought about that. And, you know, this was kind of like the role, the dream role that I wanted to be in. Frankly, I don't know enough about it. Even though he was my mentor, I knew some Donna, but I didn't know a ton. So I thought, okay, well, it's interesting that he would bring that up. Again, think back. I've talked about the importance of trusting a leader in the organization. And maybe sometimes they see something in you that you don't yet see. So I thought I need to investigate this. So I arranged to meet somebody in the U.S., in the same role. And I spent a couple of days with him and I picked his brain about everything. What does a day in the life look like? What are the most difficult hurdles that you have? What do you wish could be done differently in the organization? You name it. And when I left, I was like, oh my goodness, I could totally see myself doing this. Like I have that competitive spirit. There was something about this the hunting or the art of a deal, like closing a deal where I was just salivating at the opportunity to think, I can, I can do this. So I took it. 
What role did you start out in? I know that you've recently been promoted into the permanent VP of licensed stores, but take me through the roles that you've been to. At the time, Richard, the vice president, was still leading the entire Canadian business. We had, I think there was about 50 of us underneath that doing sort of like that selling role. And it was split with two directors. So one was me and that was like the hunting team. Think of it that way, like out hunting new business. And then the other was led by another director, my partner in crime, who I miss dearly. And she did the farming. So the national accounts. So think about relationships that we already had. And that team's role was to just continue to build and grow existing relationships while mine was out hunting and finding new relationships. It was that for about a year. And then, of course, the Nestle deal happened and that changed. So then I became the national director of both hunting, farming, right? So national accounts, plus all new business, as well as store development. Partners who help us with project management and building these new stores for licensees came under my umbrella as the national director of business development. Oh, that's really fascinating. Just so partners don't suddenly start searching for the hunting team in the license world. What is the actual formal titles of these departments? The roles would be market development manager. That's the hunting side. And then on the national account side, more of the cultivating relationships and expanding on those. Those are our NAEs, which is your national account executive. That's so fascinating. And I hope that partners who are listening to this can think about a career in the license world. Curious to know, has COVID actually impacted the license world? It has, for sure. One thing that really became clear, especially in early days, our grocery stores were an essential service. People were really flocking to grocery stores. There was some of that initial sort of panic buying, I would call it, just not understanding, you know, what things would mean. So customers were just flooding to the grocery stores. And of course, half of our license portfolio is in that grocery segment. It was very, you know, busy times for us. I would say now what started to happen, if you think about airports, we've got a lot of licensed stores, really important stores in the airports. And with air travel changing drastically, a lot of those stores are closed and we have a high level of uncertainty and how long it will be before they can open. Those are fascinating challenges for sure. Like as a leader, what does remain the same is navigating ambiguity. There's a ton of ambiguity during COVID time, but ambiguity is prevalent regardless of whether we're in a pandemic or not. So how do you actually manage the security of your team? Maybe it's job security or maybe it's personal things. How are you leading your team through this ambiguity? I think that anything that you can do to help the team be focused on the task at hand helps provide some security around um, you know, their role or the job or the importance of the work that they're doing. So it's really, you know, what are the top three or four things that Starbucks as an organization needs help with? Um, how are we going to emerge from this? And then what is the role of licensed in that? For me, it was really understanding what is Lori trying to do at a high level? And then how can my team lean into that? What three or four things can we do that will help unlock what Lori needs to do for Canada? 
Once you can do that and you have that clarity, then you can put the team's best efforts towards that. When you do that, it provides purpose. It provides an opportunity for us to be creative in our thinking, work together to collaborate and look at the contributions that we're making are significant and important. If we all lean in and we all have the diligence to make sure that we're focusing our attentions on what those priorities are, then we can move the business forward, right? We can keep advancing things. So I think when that happens, the dialogue of, oh my gosh, what might happen to me goes away. And I think the other thing too is how you co-create and collaborate. So as a leader, your job is you might have some ideas or a goal that you're going after, right? Like here's what Lori needs license to provide for the organization so that Canada can emerge successfully. Your role then is to crowdsource or co-create with your team to say, how are we going to do that? What are the ways that we can lean in to be able to achieve that? Often they have great ideas, better ideas than what I could come up with or my leaders, you know, my direct leaders could come up with on their own. So when you lean in and you gather feedback and understanding, or here's a goal that we have to get to you guys. And maybe, you know, Lori identifies that or I identify that, but how we get there, we leave to the team to say, so what are your ideas? That's really inspiring work. Giving them, you know, the space and the latitude to lean in and do that, I think is critical. That's what keeps a team engaged. I think that's super fascinating to lead in on the team and removing those barriers for them to really flourish. Because when they flourish, you're basically flourishing too. Yeah, I think as a leader, your role is to help set the goals, coaching and mentoring and lead and get out of the way. When you've got great leaders and great partners in place, your job is removing barriers. I try and do a really good job at listening intently, asking questions or offering advice. You know, I call that coaching or consulting. Sometimes you know you need to really straddle in between those two and you be decisive when you need to be. And then you get out of the way. For sure. That makes sense. As we transition, as we've gotten to know each other a little bit, you've actually shared about an important skill to hone early in your career is not IQ or EQ, but it's AQ basically being agile. Can you talk about a little bit how partners can actually hone this really important skill of being agile? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And it's really, instead of intelligence quotient or emotional quotient, it's really adaptability. So when you think about the world and the velocity in which we're changing, somebody's ability to adapt as they go along is really you know, critical and important. So being okay with change and being comfortable in that space of not knowing everything and really just you know ruminating in that and almost finding energy from it really important. Prior to COVID, even if you think about Starbucks as an organization, we're constantly evolving. If we're not and our competitors are, then you you have to really ask yourself, where does that leave you? Having people who are excited about learning more and how they continue to adapt and evolve in this ever-changing environment that we have is really critical and important. 
If you have the mindset that that can be exciting and dynamic and breakthrough, and you can choose your mindset, then that's great, right? Then, you know, those partners tend to see that work is really inspiring and holy. I have the opportunity to co-create and collaborate and shape something. Then that's great. Partners or people who struggle in that place, who maybe need a little bit more certainty, that might be a skill that they have to work a little bit longer or harder at because it's not as comfortable for them. That ability to really adapt, I believe, is a a very critical and important skill. For sure. Do you know what the starting point of that is for how to better adapt to different environments? Because, I mean, in anyone's career journey, they're going to have to adapt. I feel that you're a good expert to actually inquire on that because you've reinvented yourself so many times. I think that, you know, what I constantly think of is just how do you continue to be inquisitive? There will be things that come up for a situation that you're in and you're not going to know everything. And that's okay because it is very likely that others around you will have enough information or they'll have a particular skill set that really supports or augments some of your really great skill sets and that together you'll be okay. Being inquisitive, not interrogative, but really being inquisitive and seeking to understand and being curious and asking those questions will help you be successful in that space of uncertainty. So I think that that's one of the things that I have often thought is just patience and acceptance for yourself in that and know that it's not all on your shoulders. There are likely others around you that you can connect in with or build a relationship with and learn from. At the same time, often in parallel, you're teaching them great stuff too. I see it as a very symbiotic relationship. We're all different and we all are diverse and we all bring different skill sets. It's not the power of one, it's the power of the team. Mm, For sure. In that notion of talking about the team, actually, I did a bit of research on you and your executive assistant, Sarah, actually talked about one thing she really admired about you was how caring you were about her and the partners that you work with and you lead. So can you actually share about your approach of how you show up for your team and how you even go to bat for them? Because that is part of being the leader of the team. Well, one, it's really thoughtful and lovely that she said that. And I'm glad that she feels that. I think she deserves that. I think all of our partners do. Our our partners deserve to feel cared for, not just for the value and the work that they do, which is really, you know, critical and important that we value them as human beings. When I think about Sarah or anybody on my team, I want them to feel like I am in their corner no matter what. I do care about people deeply. I think when you're in a people leadership role, you need to have that inherently. If you're if you're not, that's okay. You know, an individual contributor is important and critical to other areas of the business as well. But when you lead a team, having that care and empathy and servant leadership is really critical and important. Often it's the little things that you do. What are those little things? Um, knowing what she's got going on, knowing what any of them have going on in their personal life. It's not like work happens and personal life stops or vice versa. As human beings, we are often juggling both of those things at any given time. 
knowing what somebody's got going on and asking questions about that and deeply caring is important. And I also like to do little things as surprises. So this is so funny. I knew Sarah was going away with Jesse, her boyfriend, and I knew what, where they were going from a geography standpoint, but I didn't know like what hotel or anything like that, that they were staying in. So I had this idea that, you know, wouldn't it be fun to send her a little like fun welcome gift so that when her and Jesse went to the hotel and showed up, there was like this beautiful little care package for them for the weekend. And that it could be from me and like the directors and all of the partners that she supports. The so long story short, so we figured it out and phoned the hotel and organized to have this really beautiful, you know, little care package for her when she arrived. So I think those are the things, right? Like sometimes, you know, the unexpected anniversary birthday, those are things that are important for sure. But the things that you do in between on a daily basis are more critical and important. And I like to be full of surprises. That's fantastic. I really like that answer. You're one year short of your 20 years at Starbucks. You've already worked in the FSE. You're in the executive leadership team. You've done the roles in the RD. You're in license. What's up on your bucket list these days? I think there's two things that might um, still be on my bucket list. An international stint is something that I'd be interested in. So like a you know two-year international assignment somewhere, I think would be totally interesting. I also think that within the licensed world or development world, so those partnerships, doing something along those lines in a broader way would also be interesting to me. So maybe like not necessarily the US, but again, more with an international lens. Again, like going to learn more about, okay, so, you know, how does license work or what's different about the partnerships that we have in Latin America or Asia Pacific or, you know, the UK or something like that. That could still be up there. Global partnerships. That's really fascinating. As we're finishing up this episode, what's a piece of career advice that you either keep really close to your heart that you think has been really pivotal in your career? I think that the best advice that somebody gave me, don't be afraid to take risks. Each time you do that, it gets a little bit easier and you gain some confidence and that makes it easier to do the next time. So in the spirit of continuous learning and continuous improvement, it's okay to try different things. When you go in, you don't have to know everything. You're there to learn. Career development in that linear fashion is not career development today. And building a broad foundation and having really different, unique, and rich development experiences will help you with propelling your career forward. Because each time you do that and get insight into another part of the organization, you continue to become more and more valuable because you've got this breadth of knowledge that really is exciting and, and dynamic. And if you can take that and apply the learnings you've had in each one of those to the next and then share that with partners, now you're creating this momentum and this movement across the entire organization Starbucks is the most wonderful place to be if you want a really rich, rewarding career full of learning, excitement, and development. 
So I would say lean in. Mm, The more risks you take, the more rewards you'll be given. And you're an example of that. Thank you so much, Shannon, for your time and and generosity of having this conversation. Thanks, Donna. It was nice to chat with you. And that wraps up this episode of Career Passport. Be sure to like, subscribe, and if you feel up for it, even give us a review. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Donna Ewan, and this is Starbucks Canada Career Passport.